You are now listening to the Autoimmune Doc Podcast with Dr. Taylor Crick. Dr. Taylor is an expert in helping those suffering with autoimmune disease, and he himself has autoimmune disease. Autoimmunity is rampant today. The purpose of this podcast is to educate about the underlying causes and natural solutions to halt autoimmune disease progression. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. For more information from Dr. Taylor, visit www.autoimmuneeducationacademy.com. Without further ado, here's your host, Dr. Taylor Crick. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Autoimmune Doc Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Taylor Crick, and I love explaining and teaching the underlying mechanisms behind autoimmunity and chronic disease. Today's episode is the third in our series about mitochondria, so I can't wait to to get into that. Hope everybody's doing well out there. It's, it's Saturday afternoon for me. I just looked on my phone before this episode just to see. I thought it was probably about 10 degrees out. I looked on my phone. It's zero degrees out. We've got a foot of snow on the ground. And after I wrap up this episode, I'm going to a daddy-daughter dance with my seven-year-old twin daughters tonight. So fun little weekend for me here. Uh, so mitochondria today, that's what we're getting into. Um, this is, again, the third episode of, on mitochondria. And I've said for each of the last two that they all kind of fit together leading up to this one. You know, what can you do about about your mitochondria? What are the strategies? How do they work? What what are the mechanisms? Um, and so go back to the to the last two episodes if you haven't heard them so that you can understand some of these mechanisms that I'm going to talk about today. But I'm going to recap those really briefly and then go over lots and lots of things that you can do, uh, supplements and the targets that they have, nutrients, things like that, but then also lifestyle strategies and how they impact the mitochondria. So when you understand some of those mechanisms, uh, it, can be, it can be helpful. So in the first episode, I, I went over the incredible importance of mitochondria. You cannot possibly overstate their importance. They power every single thing in your body. They are your cellular batteries. So each and every one of your uh, 35 trillion cells has hundreds, dozens to hundreds to thousands of mitochondria, and they are the batteries powering everything. So your heart, your brain, your liver, your muscles have the most, they require the most metabolic energy. Uh, every cell and every function is powered by mitochondria. Dysfunctional mitochondria in like t regulatory T cells, which regulatory T cells help balance immune response. Um, they're kind of like the peacemakers, especially in an autoimmune response. Dysfunctional mitochondria in those Treg cells contributes or causes autoimmune disease. So even if your autoimmune disease is, you know, maybe gluten triggered or you know Epstein Barr virus uh, caused, you know, or, or linked to, it's the mitochondria that do all the sensing and responding and powering of it all. So inflammation. As a whole concept, reactive oxygen species and antioxidants, that's mitochondria, mitochondrial, mitochondria. The reason that, that you know, toxins are toxic, the reason that exercise is beneficial, that's mitochondrial, mitochondrial, mitochondrial. Um, mitochondrial dysfunction is a root cause of Alzheimer's, of cancer, of heart disease, um, and of, of COVID and, and long COVID too, of some of the symptoms with COVID with even the inflammatory response, and then some of the dysfunction seen with long COVID. We're, that's what the next podcast episode is actually going to be about because I have a, an upcoming webinar about long COVID. So long COVID, uh, chronic fatigue, 
fibromyalgia, those kind of circles all tend to overlap and intertwine in, a, in an interesting way with mitochondria right at the center. So understanding mitochondria is super important, and it's foundational if you want to have control of your health, and that's what these episodes are all about. Uh, recently, I saw two people uh, in the same day or like kind of right in a row, I think, and it was interesting. One is a 76-year-old farmer. He doesn't know anything about mitochondria, um, but he has congestive heart failure. The other was a young lady with really severe chronic fatigue syndrome and, and very, very, very different people, but they have the same big underlying problem and my, it's mitochondrial dysfunction. Um, so it's just kind of interesting. I was just kind of thinking about it because since that's been kind of the topic of the month, um, around here. So I also talked about how mitochondria produce energy in the same way as a motor. Yeah, they use fuel to produce heat, exhaust, and, and energy movement. Um, and so you want to be using it. So with that motor, let's say, so your mitochondria are like your little motors, but I use the metaphor of a boat. And I said on a boat, you can have a big motor that gets you around fast and it's efficient and it doesn't produce a lot of exhaust. And it's like, that's what you want to be using on your boat. But just in case, you also have a trolling motor. Okay. And so if your big motor breaks, you can use your trolling motor. It's not as efficient, but at least you're not stuck out in the middle of the lake. Um, and so, I, and I had a few people even, you know, send messages that said, I'm definitely using my trolling motor. So this trolling motor in your mitochondria is an alternative fuel production pathway, like something called glycolysis, which your body can use to burn carbs through this alternative fuel source called glycolysis. Um, and so in the next episode, I went over some more uh, about those specific functions of mitochondria, including the details of glycolysis, the Krebs cycle. There's four processes I talked about. Glycolysis, the Krebs cycle, beta oxidation, and the electron transport chain, uh, and how they make up what's called metabolism. So metabolism, your body takes your food, your amazing body. It's, this is crazy, but it's, you know, we take it for granted, but your body takes your food and it breaks it down into these macronutrients, carbs, fat and protein. Carbs and fat are for fuel, um, for energy. Uh, and protein provides the building blocks for everything, for your tissues, for your cells, for your hormones, for your enzymes, uh, and some fats as well. But um, that's what proteins are used for. And, and they can be turned into fuel, but that's not their primary, primary purpose. Carbs and fat can be burned in the mitochondria for maximal fuel. That's your big motor. And fat provides more fuel than carbs do. So fat and carbs, they're broken down into electrons in the Krebs cycle and passed through the electron transport chain where it goes through one and then passes it to two and then to three and then to four. And then five spins. Five is uh, the ATPase. It's the world's smallest nanomotor. It spins at 9,000 RPMs and it spits out energy. Um, and so fat makes more energy than carbs in that process, uh, pound for pound. So that's the big motor. But carbs can also be burned by the trolling motor or glycolysis, which can you can shift. You can be shift, and your body always is shifting back and forth, but it could get stuck 
Uh, and that could happen by viruses. Like, again, that's a mechanism of COVID and other viruses. They'll hijack metabolism uh, and, and do something called a Warburg effect. Uh, toxins will do that as well. Um, a, a sedentary lifestyle and just a high-carbohydrate diet um, will do that as well. So they will induce this glycolytic shift, which is a hallmark feature of cancer cells and Alzheimer's cells. So with that being said, that's a recap of the last two episodes and a recap of the importance of mitochondria and some of the important functions of mitochondria. Now, that kind of lays the foundation for these solutions. So first off, let me start with exercise because I cannot just wait to just get it off my chest. It cannot go lower in the podcast or further in the podcast. There is nothing that has been proven to be better or more beneficial or more important for your mitochondria than exercise. And so there's many, many, many different benefits of exercise, even with oxygen delivery and things like that. But the bottom line is that exercise increases flux. So you want electron flux through your mitochondria. You want those things producing a lot of energy. You want them using a lot of oxygen. You want flux. You want them to be producing a lot of heat because heat is just kind of the byproduct of energy production. So that's why exercise is so good. Now, with that being said, I commonly see athletes, high-level athletes that still have components of, of broken metabolism. They could perform really well uh, you know, in an anaerobic state or an aerobic state, uh, you know, uh, endurance, you know, 10K runners, uh, half marathoners, marathoners, uh, not as many marathoners really, but um, do CrossFitters and things like that. And they'll still have just, you know, weight, weight burning issues or, you know, blood sugar issues or hormonal issues, GI issues, um, Men and women, but but more women than men. A lot of CrossFitters. I see. I see a lot of CrossFitters. Um, but exercise is still the most important thing, and it it fixes. It doesn't fix, but it gets you out of that glycolysis because, again, the demand that you're putting on your body is like, hey, we gotta produce this energy. So there's aerobic exercise. That's things like uh, running and or rowing, or, you know, walking, or just something that you can do for a sustained period of time where you're kind of below that aerobic threshold, or there's anaerobic, which you can't sustain for very long. And doing both is really, really important from the sense of, of mitochondria, um, mitochondria in your brain, mitochondria in your muscles, mitochondria in your heart. But just having that level of fitness of you don't just want to be you know, a power lifter, and you don't just want to be a marathon runner either. You want to have some variety for your mitochondria. Um, but now let's talk about supplements because there's a lot of supplements. I'm going to go through just, you know, the highlights and I have a top 10 list and, and just kind of the intention or the purpose behind those. But I'm really more excited about talking about some of the lifestyle things and just how they work because I just think that, that the mechanisms are fascinating um, behind like some of the light therapies and cold thermogenesis and things like that. So um, supplements, there are a lot. You know, and there's a lot that I'm not mentioning, certainly. Um, almost everything, again, functions by the mitochondria. So, you know, I'm, resveratrol is not on here. Uh, berberine, I'm not really talking about. Um, 
curcumin really isn't on here. Fish oil even isn't on here as far as DHA, EPA. Um, so it, even though those are all great and they help the mitochondria, certainly, but they have other just like more famous, you know, mechanisms uh, and things too. So some, let's talk first about the Krebs cycle. So you need, again, oxygen. So oxygen, even as a supplement, can be helpful. This is where a lot of your B vitamins come into play, though. Uh, a lot of Bs, B2s, B3s, just a, a variety of different Bs. So not necessarily even B12, like for, for energy and for methylation and um but some of the lower Bs as well. There's a lot of amino acids, free-form amino acids. So these are proteins, but these free-form amino acids are necessary cofactors for the Krebs cycle as well. There's also a lot of minerals. There's magnesium, there's manganese, there's zinc, chromium, um, all necessary for the Krebs cycle. For beta-oxidation, and that mechanism that we talked about last time. And, and actually, let me start with glycolysis too. So some of the things for glycolysis, CoQ10, um, berberine, carnitine, melatonin. Melatonin's a good one. Um, and curcumin. So some of the, that I said I wasn't really mentioning. But those are some of the good ones that could turn off glycolysis or help get you out of a glycolytic shift. But if that's your problem... My solutions that I tend to use aren't aren't supplemental. So some of the things we're going to talk about uh, later, like fasting um, and ketogenic diets, can really shift the way that your body uses these macronutrients for fuel, especially when combined with with exercise. Um, but I said the the some of for the Krebs cycle and then beta oxidation. There's really only one that I know of for beta oxidation, and it's carnitine or L-carnitine or acetyl L-carnitine is the most common form. Um, so I use a, a, a carnitine quite a bit, and I do a lot of carnitine like testing too that we'll see. Um, I use Numedica's uh, carnitine the most often, acetyl L-carnitine. But it's also in a lot of blends that I use um, from Apex uh, and, and others. Um, for the electron transport chain, the, this is where you talk about things like CoQ10 um, and then like NAD or NADH. Both are available as supplement forms, and, and I don't really have an opinion. It seems like there's a variety of, of things out there for these, um, but NAD can, can be helpful for the electron transport chain and feeding electrons in NADH. That's the reduced form um, for feeding electrons into uh, that electron transport chain. And then even something like ASEA, which ASEA is a multi-level marketing product, um, and it's redox signaling molecules. So it's something that, again, I don't have a super strong opinion on. A lot of people swear by it. Um, and, and I think that it's just, I don't know, it's intriguing. It's something that I've certainly used and certainly used with people and certainly recommended uh, to people before, but it's not something that I'm 100% uh, sales salesperson for. Um, and then antioxidants. You know, antioxidants like glutathione is your mitochondria's master protector. Vitamin C, vitamin E is really, really helpful for the mitochondria. And a lot of these things that I've already mentioned are antioxidants. Melatonin's a powerful antioxidant. Um, PQQ's an antioxidant. So a lot of these things act as antioxidants. I believe resveratrol, I think, is an antioxidant as well. Um, so antioxidants are also very, very helpful. Alpha-lipoic acid is another one that's a, another sulfur-based one, like glutathione, so really, really good for the mitochondria. Here's my top 10 mitochondrial supplements. And these are in order, but 
I don't know, it's subjective, so I might even change my own order, but they're in general relative order. But number one is B vitamins. So like a broad spectrum B complex, not just like a high methylation support, not just B12, um, but a broad spectrum B2, uh, B1, thiamine, B, uh, riboflavin, you, you need them all, B3, niacin. Um, so a broad spectrum B complex. Number two, and the one that I use the most is called 16B by systemic formulas. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's really great. Uh, magnesium is the next next one. There's a lot of different forms of magnesium. I would say I like magnesium glycinate the best, um, but I don't have a, a brand. You know, we sell several in our store and lots of forms of magnesium. Uh, CoQ10 is number three. So ubiquinone is typically the the, the version that you want. Um, there's ubiquinol, ubiquinone. Um, and yeah, just a reputable, reputable source uh, and brand. Do you see a variety of different dosage recommendations ranging from like 50 milligrams a day to three to 700 milligrams a day? So uh, I'm not giving any, any dosage recommendations. Um, L-carnitine, acetyl-L-carnitine is number four. Uh, again, for the... Uh, helping to burn fat, to shuttle fat into the mitochondria can be really helpful from a metabolism standpoint. Number five is glutathione, which if you know me at all, it's shocking that glutathione would be number five on any list of mine. Um, And so maybe it'll be number one by the time I rethink this. But just for the mitochondrial's sake, those first four really work on the mitochondria. Um, Number six is melatonin. Uh, it's a powerful free, uh, powerful antioxidant. It's also will stop that Warburg glyca- effect, that glyca- glycolytic shift. So, and they're finding a lot with melatonin for like neuroinflammation and things like that. Um, and not just for, for sleep and like circadian things, of course, but the mitochondria also work on circadian mechanisms. So that's what we're going to talk about even with some of this light therapy and some of that. Uh, number seven is antioxidants, vitamin C, E, lipoic acid. Number eight is NAD and NADH. Um, I think the NAD is more promising. It's the one I've used more often, but uh, I'm intrigued by NADH. Um, and, and just you know, kind of trying one versus the other for somebody with a chronic fatigue or a fibro or you know, a, a post-COVID or something like that. Uh, the next one is P- PQQ. It's pyroquinolone quinone. <laughs> uh, so PQQ is uh, a lot better. Um, and then number 10 is urolithin A. So urolithin A is kind of a new one on the scene. Um, stimulates mitophagy um, and auto- or, or mitophagy, which is the eating of, of bad mitochondria. So, and a lot of really cool research with mitochondria coming out about urolithin A. So this is a new one that I've just started dabbling with, um, using one from Pure Encapsulations. It's called Renewal. Um, so, and I also like blends too. So I, there's a lot of blends that I use like, um, ATP 360 is from research nutritionals. Uh, Mito ATP is a little bit different type of blend with some humic and fulvic acids and, and some, uh, Krebs cycle, uh, intermediate or metabolites, um, from Cellcor. Um, mitochondrial recharge is from Numedica and ENRG is from uh, systemic formulas. So I like, I like those for supplements. Um, now let's talk about lifestyle. So I've got some really cool ones lifestyle-wise. 
Um, and yeah, they're, I think they're really fascinating. I think they're better than the supplements. I think the supplements come next. You know, supplements are like dessert. It's like once you've finished your food, then you, you get that. Um, so lifestyle. So f- let's start with fasting. Fasting is fascinating and just really, really great for your mitochondria. Fasting produces profound – there's a, a, a study that I'm citing here that says that fasting produces profound neuronal – autophagy. So autophagy is the eating of bad cells, the eating of, of dead or un, un, like useless cells and getting rid of kind of junk, the, the dusting of your house and house cleaning. Um, and, and so fasting induces autophagy and mitophagy, which is the eating of bad mitochondria. So And fasting also induces ketosis, which is also helpful for the mitochondria. So fasting is a very useful strategy. Now, I have videos, uh, a lot of videos about the research behind fasting, about uh, an old podcast that I have about fasting. My longest patient fasted for 28 days twice. Um, I have somebody coming in next week that just finished a 21-day. Um, and so and so intermittent fasting, you know, there's all kinds of variety of, of fasting. I have somebody right now doing alternate day fasting. And that's something that he discovered on his own, and he asked me if he if I thought, and I said absolutely. Let's see what your let's see what your blood sugar numbers and your ketone numbers do, because that's what we're working on. He's diabetic, and so that's what he's working on is monitoring his sugars. And so we're trying different strategies and some of these exact same supplements to see what we can do to shift metabolism. But we're measuring it every single day with a blood and ke- blood sugar and ketone meter. Um, so ketogenic diets, fasting will induce ketosis. But a ketogenic diet is, it, you know, it, it's a it's a shame that it has in a, like a reputation at all. Whether it's good or bad, depending on whatever circles you run in, ketogenic diets are more well known in the science world as mitochondrial therapy. So for Alzheimer's, for Parkinson's, for MS, for you know neurologic diseases that have a lot of mitochondrial causes to them. Ketogenic diets can be very helpful. Epilepsy as well. That's how ketogenic diets have, have been you know, studied for the last uh, uh, century. So ketogenic diets will increase mitochondrial glutathione levels. Uh, it, it's, it's a powerful antioxidant, decreases reactive oxygen species. It balances the GABA to glutamate ratio. Um, and ketones are a preferred fuel source for neurons. So your mitochondria can burn ketones as an alternative fuel source. And it's not only an alternative, it's a preferred fuel source. So that could be really helpful when you're trying to fix metabolism and you're trying to get metabolism back on track. Every human body should be able to do this. And once you figure out how to flip that metabolic switch, that's the most important thing that you can do. I heard somebody say recently, and I really liked it. She said, once you figure out how to make flip that switch, if you want to have a donut, have a donut. But the next day, you need to figure out how to flip that switch back on because the donut's going to flip it off. So you can have some things in, in, you know, that are outside of your diet or, or outside of even your personal goals and things like that that are going to shut down this like ketosis and put you into glycolysis and whatever. But if you can flip it back on the next day, that's what you want is to be able to make that metabolic switch. So ketogenic diet, again, watch some of my YouTube videos about that. The last things I want to talk about here are 
uh, light, light therapy, and even sound and some vibrational therapies, magnetic therapies. You know, I'm not getting into those too much, but pulse, uh, PEMF, um, you know, there's some magnetic therapies that are mitochondrial. There's also hyperbaric oxygen, ozone, so things like that that I'm not getting into that are, are mitochondrial. Um, especially the hyperbaric, uh, hydrogen peroxide, you know, things like that. They boost antioxidant levels. It's all mitochondrial. But the next thing are, are light frequencies. And so your mitochondria work by light. Light powers your mitochondria. And that's visible light in some wavelengths. But it's also light wavelengths that are off the visible spectrum. So ultraviolet light. And certain levels of ultraviolet light can be damaging to your mitochondria, and everybody knows that. But they also need some ultraviolet light, and they also need some infrared light. So a lot of these things that are becoming more well-known are all because of the mitochondria. So like as I sit here right now, I'm wearing my, my blue blocking glasses like I always am, and that's mitochondria. Blue light damages mitochondria in the eye. It also damages and, and disrupts the circadian rhythms, which disrupts mitochondria in, in a different way. But that's blue light. And red on the other end is very, very healing and very, very helpful. And so like a lot of what's called low-level laser therapy or low-level light therapy, LLLT, there is just a profound amount of research coming out about these things. So specific wavelengths of red light like 660, um, 660 is one that stands out in my mind. 810 is an infrared wavelength. Those are two that, that stand out in my mind as wave, specific wavelengths that work on your mitochondria. And there's new studies coming out all the time about how they work. For a long time, they thought it was uh, the, the fourth cytochrome, cytochrome C oxidase that these red and infrared wavelengths worked on, especially the 660s, and it caused it to release electrons more easily and it increased that electron flux. Now, what we know, at least, at least as far as I know, is that the water, the structured water in the exclusion zone around the mitochondria is actually the accept acceptor for red and near-infrared light, but it's all mitochondrial how it works. Infrared, some of the infrared wavelengths cause the ATPase to spin faster. So it's all mitochondrial. So like, again, it's zero degrees here. After this, I'm getting in the sauna. And so the sauna is infrared. It's full spectrum infrared because far infrared doesn't have the same effects on the mitochondria. Far infrared will still stimulate sweat and will still detox and will still stimulate heat shock proteins and things like that. But near infrared is what's going to stimulate the mitochondria. So we have a near uh, a full spectrum infrared sauna and we also have a red light um, two chromotherapy uh, red lights in there. So I'll be in, in all red light and infrared light, just bathing my, my cells and my mitochondria in those wavelengths. So anyway, there's my rant about, about red light. Super cool. The next one is the exact opposite, also super cool, and it's cold thermogenesis. So cold thermo is getting popular also. So it's mitochondrial. In, in, in the, the, the short version of it is it expands the water in the exclusion zone around the mitochondria which shrinks the respiratory proteins in the electron transport chain. And for every one angstrom that those proteins are closer together, electron tunneling between those goes up tenfold. So it's all again about 
flux. And that's why the last episode matters because that's what we're talking about is all these things. Um, but it's all about flux. So cold thermo, the other thing that cold thermo has been shown to do, you know, one of the main it's being studied like out, out the wazoo, but what it does is what's called the beijing of fat, which it turns what's called white adipose tissue into brown adipose tissue. And brown adipose tissue produces more heat in what's called non-shivering thermogenesis. So that's why your body does that as an adaptation. It beiges the fat so that you produce more heat. But the reason that those the, that brown fat produces more heat is because it has more mitochondria. It's very, very mitochondrial dense. It's very metabolically dense. So cold thermo um, has also been shown to um, uh, it, like do some crazy things with dopamine, like raise raise dopamine levels, and they, they don't fall off. You know, some different things with the vagus and kind of stress response. Um, so cold and and heat are kind of interesting, you know, contrasting therapies. And then the red light is is really, really fascinating to me um, and how that works on the mitochondrial level. Another one while we're on kind of that is, is like is grounding or earthing. Um, and so the mechanism behind that, this is just going out barefoot. Or like right now, again, my laptop as I record this is on a grounding pad. So this pad is connected to my outlet in my wall to just the grounding rod. So, you know, on like a three-prong outlet, that third prong is just a grounding grounding rod. So it's just a little stick that, that plugs in there. So my laptop is grounded. Um, I also have the Wi-Fi off. I also have my phone on airplane mode um, right now, you know, not, not at all times. Um, but right now I do. Um, but, yeah, so that's grounding or earthing. So you can I, – I have a grounded um, – pillowcase and you can go outside and get grounded certainly but again i just said it's zero degrees here there's a foot of snow on the ground so you could do cold thermo pretty easily oh and by the way i have i have a cold plunge um i've used it a couple times but again it's zero degrees so i'm just not that interested right now but i built it like right as the winter was starting which is kind of probably stupid timing i've been more sauna throughout the winter but i have a cold plunge so i'm sure you'll see you know pictures on instagram or things if you follow me of my cold plunge once it starts getting a little bit warmer. There's all kinds of other hacks for this too. There's something called, um, I want to say it's the Fournier effect. It's some French name. But it's like when your bottom half is in ice and your top half is in heat, it basically acts like a battery. You can kind of picture that of positive and negative, and it increases the flux and the flow of electrons. So when you're grounded or you're earth, you are gain first off your pat you're basically when you're grounded like my laptop my understanding of it is that i'm passing protons and and electrical energy kind of what we'd call maybe electro smog into the earth because i'm connected to the earth through this grounding pad when you're grounded your body and you're like out there you're on all fours you're barefoot you're actually gaining electrons from the earth the earth is a massive massive source of electrons. So you're actually literally gaining electrons from the earth. You also gain some electrons, my understanding, from the sun as well. Um, so it's not just using artificial light like red lights and saunas and things. Sun is is the best. I, I should have mentioned that, my gosh. But sun, you know, in structured water, um, some things like that, they're all mitochondrial, but sun. Now, the last thing is, is what you have to avoid. So you have to avoid 
EMFs. You know, I just talked about that. So you talk about how delicate this electrical system is. All these, you know, uh, like half your ATP go, or more than half. I, I shouldn't even make hyperbole, but I don't know the number. But a lot of your ATP goes just towards like sodium and potassium pumps, like pumping things in and out of your cells. So this is a really, really intricate process. You start throwing all these non-native frequencies and radiation into your cells, and you better freaking believe that it's going to disrupt your mitochondria and that it's going to cause problems. So EMFs, Blue light, again, blue light could be toxic to your mitochondria. You have to avoid toxins, pesticides, damage the mitochondria. Mycotoxins from mold damage the mitochondria. Heavy metals damage the mitochondria. So you got to drink clean water, you got to breathe clean air, uh, you got to do all those things you know, along the way, but those are all mitochondrial. So anyway, those are the solutions. Those are the things that you can do to fix your mitochondria. You can combine them. You can stack them. You could pick one and, and then the other. But uh, there's no limit to you know wh- the things that you can do for your mitochondria. So there's a lot, a lot of things out there to try. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and a review. We love your ratings and your reviews. Uh, that's really you know motivating to me to even you know come here on a Saturday and record another episode. Uh, is when we get ratings, reviews, engagement. You know we get a, we're getting helping a lot of people that are finding us through this podcast as well, which is also really really you know rewarding and fulfilling to me. But give us a rating and review. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, follow us on YouTube. Stay tuned for the next episode, which is going to be about long haulers. Um, And then I'm going to have a a webinar about that too. So some really cool stuff coming out. Talk to you guys next time. Mm